great to see you here at the five o'clock teaching service. And um, I'm encouraged to see new people here today. You're very welcome. Um, the five o'clock service is a very important service in uh, our minds. And um, our senior minister, Colin Dye, wanted a place where we could spend time in the word teaching the important doctrines of Christ. And um, it's, it's a needed thing. Uh, we, we had a wonderful time, well, I did anyway, over a few months doing the Sermon on the Mount. And um, all of the teaching services, if you miss one, well, you can always go on our website and go to the media section. And you can see, for example, the whole Sermon on the Mount. If you press on the series, you can see all the Sermon on the Mounts that you want to do and all the teaching there. And welcome to all of you uh, that are watching on the internet. I know there's some people in Scotland uh, that join us. So welcome to you. It's good to have you with us. Yeah, it's great. We are, we started a new series and we're still in, in, in the introduction of it called Beyond Death. Beyond Death. And last week I looked at the topic of the immortality of the human soul. And uh, today we're going to be continuing in that. Today we're going to be looking at what happens after you die between death and resurrection. You know, we're only on this earth for a very short time. Do you know that? A very short time. And you are going to exist forever and ever and ever. Do you know that? Last week I was focusing on this, on this point that when the Bible speaks that we are mere mortals, what part of us is it speaking about? Body, that's right, our mortal bodies. Our bodies are mortal. They will wither, they will fade like the grass and the flower, all flesh is as grass. And so our physical lives, should Jesus tarry, and when we die, our mortal bodies will die and be buried or cremated or whichever way you want to do it. But the us that's on the inside, our spirits or souls, whichever you want to use, the spirit on the inside of a human being is immortal. It lasts forever and ever and ever. When God made us in our own Im image, he made us spiritually in, in his image. And I looked at some of the other verses last week. I won't go back to it. You can go to it if you want to. But you will exist forever and ever and ever. When you die, you don't cease to exist. A lot of people think in this world, in the Western world, that when you die, that's it. That when you came into the world, you had your short life, and then when you finished the world, you ceased to exist. Nothing is further from the truth. And I'll be looking in some of the sessions that we do on this, on um, the doctrine of annihilation, the false doctrine of annihilation that says that what happens is that when you die, if you're not a Christian, at some stage you just cease to exist. The human soul will always exist. So when you die, what is death? Well, death is simply the separation of the spirit or soul. Let's use the word spirit. The separation of the spirit from the body. You know, at the moment of death, you won't cease to be conscious. You know, when we think about people that die, we interact with their spirits through their bodies, don't we? That's how we interact. And so when someone dies, oh, their body ceases to function. It's finished. It's over. But the person that is in that body who just died, their spirit hasn't died. Their mortal body has, but their spirit continues to exist. You will be as conscious the moment after death as you were the moment before. Let me say that again. You will be as conscious. You, your spirit will be as active the moment after death as it was the moment before death. Because death is not the annihilation or destruction of the spirit. Death is the separation of the human spirit from the mortal body. Your body is mortal. One day that's going to change. I'm going to tell you about that. Your body is mortal. But your spirit is immortal. That means it will go on existing 
forever and ever and ever. There will never be a time when the human spirit no longer exists. And so when we think about that, and I embellished uh, or went, went into detail on that last week, when we think about that, it shows you that we've got a lot of time ahead of us, haven't we, as spirits? And the interesting thing is, is the old saints and the revivalists and disciples all understood that this life is just the brief introduction to eternal existence. And so that means that if how we exist when we die, after we die, how we exist of spirits depends on our choices, decisions, and actions on the earth, then I'm not saying that our life on earth is meaningless. On the contrary, I will be teaching when I teach you on the doctrine of rewards, the rewards that are available when we die. There are rewards for how we live our life, and I'll that will be part of this series. I am saying, I am not saying because we will exist forever and ever when we, when we die, our spirit will continue to exist, that this life isn't important. On the contrary, how we exist at the moment when the body separates from the spirit, how we exist forever and ever and ever is determined on our choices and actions in this life. So just because we may live 70, 80, 90 years max here, says, oh, well, it doesn't really matter because we're all going to die anyway. What does it matter? No, the decisions and actions. This is why this life is so precious, because it has eternal consequences. Eternal consequences. Our decisions and our actions on earth can shape our existence eternally and can affect other human beings' existence eternally. By the time I've taught you, and I'll begin it next week on hell and heaven, by the time we've gone through that, you will realize that to win a soul is not just to get somebody in your cell group, praise the Lord, or to get them along to church, but to win a soul is to change their eternal existence forever and ever and ever. I don't know who brought you to the Lord, but I know who brought me to the Lord. And I'm telling you, I'm very grateful to him. He's a vicar now, a canon actually. He brought me to the Lord in university. And when I get to heaven, if he's there already or whatever, <laughs> or if he, I am going to give him a big hug because I wouldn't be there. If he had, he's changed by being used of God, by being obedient, by sharing the gospel. He, under God, has changed my eternal existence forever. Wow, this is powerful stuff, isn't it? No wonder Paul said, you know what? All this suffering that I'm going through on earth is but light affliction. I mean, how many times was he shipwrecked? How many times was he forsaken, hungry? I mean, he was stoned so badly, stoned with rocks so badly, that everybody thought he must be dead. He can't have survived that and walked away. And he calls those momentary light afflictions. Well, they don't seem momentary light to me. But how could he say that? Because he was saying, because it's just a flick of the fingers. It's an instant compared to the eternal existence that I will have when I die. This is nothing compared to the amount of time and existence forever and ever that stands before me. And so Paul deemed it worthy to take some pain on earth for some extra eternal gain. And I think for the church to be revived, and we believe in God for a new move in our lives, and the 7 o'clock service, we're pressing on in, especially for that. And Colin is speaking powerfully, apostolically, into, these, into the new move in the, in the mornings. But... If we are to become true disciples of the Lord, there has to be a seismic shift in our mentality and view of things. We have got to stop being so earthbound and begin to understand things from an eternal perspective. And the devil hates this teaching. He hates the teaching of eternal things. I mean, when I, when I taught last week, you may not have noticed it. I hope you didn't. It was hard to teach this stuff. 
I, I don't often go, I'm, I don't feel I'm over spiritual, but you can correct me, but I felt like I was wading through treacle, and it wasn't because of you guys, you were listening, you were supportive, but I, I felt like I was chopping through spirits of resistance to this doctrine, and also plowing new furrows. You say, what do you mean plowing? I mean, there's very few people teaching this stuff. There's very few people preaching what I'm talking to you today. Ignorance. And the devil loves us ignorant because he wants us to think that this is really all that matters. What we get on our life on earth, the comfort, the blessing, me, 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 what I get on earth. Oh, and then at the end you go to heaven, but don't really worry about what happens after death. But the Bible tells us that those that walked with God on earth walked it from an eternal perspective. The decisions they made, the actions that they made, they didn't make those actions by saying this life is really all there is, but the decisions and actions they made, they did it on the other side, thinking on the other side. What does this mean for eternal? The things that I do have eternal values. Eternal values. And today I want to move a little bit more into what happens then between death and the second coming of Christ, or between death and the resurrection. Yesterday I was explaining how that death is the separation of the spirit, which is immortal, from our mortal body, which dies and decays. Now, I think I have to ask some simple questions, although I think they're also profound. And one of them is this, why do Christians have to die? I mean, Jesus has saved us, we are born again. Why, why do we have to face death? Jesus faced death. He died and he rose again. So why do we still as Christians, if we're saved, have to face death that Jesus conquered? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Well, it's important to understand how salvation works. Do you know God's saving work in our lives is past, present, and future? And each one of those, past, present, and future, is talking about one aspect of who we are as human beings. You say, what do I mean? Well, let's talk about past. If you're a Christian here today, you've been saved. Now, what that means is this, is that if you are born again, when you believe in Jesus, and all, all it needs to be saved for eternity, this, this is why it's so, the gospel is just so incredible. Because it will change your eternal destiny forever and ever will be changed if you believe in it. Your whole existence after death will be changed forever if you believe in it. But all you have to do is say, yes, Lord. For if anyone believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and raised from the dead, you are saved. It's so simple, it's so marvelous, it's so wonderful, it's so simple, so many people miss it. But the moment in your heart you believe, you believe Jesus, you may, you may struggle with other teachings and have to grow in other aspects, but you just simply believe that Jesus died for you and rose for you, you are born again. Something happens on the inside of you. You are what Paul says, a new creation. The old has passed away. Which part of you, when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, which part of you becomes a new creation? Your spirit. Exactly. You are born anew. You are born again. Your spirit that was dead to God, didn't relate to God, didn't know God. It was still in existence. But in relationship to God, before you were a Christian, your spirit was dead to the things of God. Do some of you remember what it was like before the Holy Spirit began his work on your life? Didn't care less about God. Didn't care less about the church. Didn't care less about Christ. Didn't care anything about the things of God. Is that true? That true? And, and you didn't care. You were dead in your sins and transgressions, even though your spirit was still in existence. It was dead to God. But when the Holy Spirit came upon the Word of God and did a work, a miracle in your life, and you believed you were born again, and from that moment, you were saved eternally. You have been saved, if you're a believer here today, saved forever. You have passed already from eternal death to eternal life. You have passed 
already from, from these things. You're, so you have been saved, and you are being saved. What part of you is being saved? Your soul. Now, I've said that it's very difficult. Sometimes spirit and soul can mean the same thing in the Bible. But sometimes when we're talking about how we're living now, the soul can mean those aspects of our life that are the mind, the emotions, the will, the uh, memory, the intellect, mind, emotions, will, memory, intellect. These are your soul. And how many knows that our intellect is not perfect? Sometimes we still think wrong things, don't we? How many know our emotions are sometimes a difficulty, etc., etc.? How many have problems with willpower? All these things. Now, what are these parts? Well, these parts are parts of our life that God is changing through sanctification, which means through our life on earth, God wants us to get cleaner, closer to Him, and more like Him, okay? And I actually believe that the soul is, is, is very much seated in, in the body, the mind. You know, you have a mind, but it's funny how you can have mental illness, can't you? So I think the soul that links to your spirit is very much part of your body. So I do tend to think that in the end there is spirit and body. Uh, but there is like a soul that connects the two. You hear what I'm saying? It's the body part of you that thinks, that, that has will. That's, that's my opinion on the matter. Now, God is saving us. Uh, James says, receive the engrafted worth of God, work, word of God for the saving of the soul. You are saved already when it comes to going to heaven. Your spirit is perfect. You know that if you're a Christian here today. There is nothing wrong with your spirit at all. It's perfect in every way. You are born again. You're a new creation. Spiritually, if you believe Jesus today, you are perfect. It's your soul and body that need help. <laughs> and so as we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, working through and in our spirit, He lives in us. We are getting our emotions, our mind, our soul in line with what God has done in our spirit and the Word of God. You hear? So you're being saved in that sense. And then finally, you have been saved forever, eternally. Your spirit is born again. You are being saved in the sense that God is cleaning and changing and working in your life, sanctification in your soul. But you will be saved. Which part of you will be saved in the future? Your body. Your body. And this is where we're coming to this question about, well, why does a Christian have to die? Because our bodies have not yet been saved. Our spirits are 100% saved. That's why the moment when you die, and if you're a Christian, when you die and your spirit separates from your body, it's going to go straight to be with the Lord. Your soul is being saved. But your body is not saved at all in any way, shape, or form. Thank God for healing power. Because healing power shows that the God that can heal the body can surely one day raise it. So healing power in the body shows that God loves our bodies. And it's a sign that one day our bodies will be saved. When will our bodies be saved? On the day of resurrection. I'm going to come to glorification of our bodies later on in, 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 in this, teaching, this teaching today. So the reason that we die is that because Paul speaks about our mortal bodies. Our mortal bodies. Mortal means that it won't exist forever. It, it can die. It's subject to death. And so death came into the world not through God. I want to make this plain. Death did not come through the world through God. Death is the enemy of God. Death came into the world through Adam. Adam's sin. Before Adam and Eve sinned, there was no death in the world. No animals died. Nothing died. No death. No death at all. But when Adam sinned, he died. Now, how did he die? He died spiritually first, didn't he? The moment you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. The moment he ate, he died. But his spirit, his spirit was still existing, wasn't it? He didn't like. He he died spiritually in his relationship to God. And then later on, hundreds of years later, his body died too. And so, the 
the death, we have been saved, we are being saved, but our body will only be saved on the day of resurrection or when Jesus returns. So that's why we still have to face the bodily death, our mortal bodies, because we still exist in a fallen world. And not everything in the fallen world have we been able to get away from its influence. All right? Now, when we die, I told you last week that we don't enter into what cults teach, soul sleep. And I won't go too much in detail, but I see some people here today. So when you die, you don't go into soul sleep. Some cults teach that what happens is when you die, you lose consciousness. You die and you fall asleep. It's like you lose your consciousness. And the next thing you know, could be thousands of years later, at the moment of resurrection, oh, you suddenly wake up. And they teach that when somebody dies, for them, it's like a moment of time until they wake up. So in other words, all the saints in the Old Testament and the New Testament, with this false teaching of soul sleep, they are totally unconscious right now. Their spirits are sleeping. And for them, hundreds, thousands of years waiting for will be but an instance. But that is not the case. The Bible does not teach soul sleep. When the Bible speaks about sleeping... When it speaks about sleeping on 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. It's talking, it's a euphemism for the death of the body. If you look at a body that dies, and you just close the eyes, it looks like it's asleep, isn't it? Jesus, when he said, when they said, oh, this, this, this Jairus' daughter is dead, he said, she's just sleeping. She just, what he meant, it's a euphemism. For, for the body to be dead. We know, as we will see, as we saw last week, that, that people that die are still in existence. They are still fully conscious. They are probably more aware than they've ever been before. Uh, we've seen that in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. They are fully conscious of where they, where they are after death. We see that when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, who was there with him? It was Elijah and Moses. They were dead, but their spirits were still in existence. So we, we understand that. Jesus said to the, um, uh, the, the, the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. Speaking about existence, like I said, when you die, your spirit separates from your body, but you are as conscious, awake, and alert as you've ever been in your physical life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 24 speaks a little bit about the fact that death will be the final enemy to be destroyed. 1 Corinthians 15 24. Then comes the end when Jesus delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Is death. And 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 54, says this. So when the, uh, says, um, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? O hell, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And this brings me to the next, my next point. Death is not a punishment for Christians. It's not a punishment for Christians. And death for Christians is not a negative thing. Now, I know this is going to sound a bit weird, but death is not a bad thing for Christians. That doesn't mean you say, oh, well, what, you're saying we should commit suicide? Of course not. That would be a wrong thing to do. God has given you life, and we have to protect all human life for as long as we can. So I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying that, that we don't have to fear death. And I tell you what. The moment you die, you might be a bit worried about it as you're coming in for landing, if you like. But the moment you die, you die your spirit is going to be blessed like it's never been before. It is going to go right into the presence of the Lord. Death, where is your sting? Now, death has a sting if you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, death, where is your sting? I tell you what, you'll be shouting that verse at the moment of your death. We won't be able to hear you because your mortal body will have died. We'll be like, oh my God, can't believe she or he's gone. And we'll be grieving because we've lost you. 
from this world. But you won't be grieving. You'll be like, whoo, going up to heaven or however it works. And she'll be going, is this it? Is this death? Is this what I was worried about, fearful about? Is this what it is? This is wonderful. Death, where's your sting? I can see the Lord right now I'm going to heaven. That's how you're going to feel. You're going to love it. It's going to be an awesome moment. It's going to be the best moment you've ever experienced in your existence, the moment you die. (laughs) Crazy to say, isn't it? This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Now, death has a sting, but not to a Christian. (laughs) But death does have a sting to those that aren't Christians, and I'll come to that in a minute. Now, I've said we shouldn't fear death. We shouldn't fear death. And the closer we get to the Lord and his presence, the less we shall fear death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. Paul says, we are of good courage. I say and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. I'm going to read that again. We are of good courage. Why are you so full of courage, Paul? I say, and I would prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. In other words, he's saying, do you know what? What does he mean, absent from the body? It's that moment, isn't it? When the spirit separates from the mortal body. And when you're absent from the body as a Christian, where are you? You're at home with the Lord. And I love that phrase, at home. Sometimes I think we think, you know, when I die, it's going to be so weird and spooky, not having a body and, and then going to heaven and experiencing all these things. Do you know what? You'll feel like you're going home. All the little things, perhaps, that you've experienced in your spiritual life, the touches of God, the revelation of God's word, the fellowship of the spirit, all these things that we have experienced in such a small form, and God wants us to have more. He wants to revive us. But all our wonderful spiritual experiences, when the Holy Spirit speaks into your heart, when the Word of God blesses you, when, when you're enjoying worship, all those, li- they're just tastes of heaven. So that when you die and you go to be with the Lord, you'll have all the wonderful experiences you've had with the Word and the Spirit. They, they will be fully experienced. And you will say, I've come home. Not this is strange, this is weird. I tell you what's strange and weird, friends, according to Scripture, this world. According to the Bible, we're citizens of heaven, a heavenly city. I don't know about you, if, you're, if there's anybody here and, and you've come from another country and this, you're living in London, but this isn't your home city. And, and you go back to your home city. And I know London can be home too. But you go back to your home city and there's something about it, isn't it? It's your home. Well, when you, go, when you die as a believer and go to heaven, that's how you feel. You feel, this is home. This is where I should be. This is everything that was of any value in my life came from this place. You'll feel at home. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. I'd like to read this. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21. Well, 20, yeah, 21 is. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what shall I choose? I cannot tell. For I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Wow. Is Paul frightened of death? Is Paul scared that the grim reaper is getting closer? On the contrary, he's like, do you know what? I really want to go and be with the Lord. I really want to go and be with the Lord. I want to go and be with I am not frightened of death. death. Remember, death is just a door into heaven. You leave your body, you enter heaven. Death, it's not, you don't cease to exist. Death is a beautiful moment for the believer. It is simply a door. You, when you die, you don't cease to exist. You're as conscious the moment after you die as you are before. 
In fact, probably more conscious. You know how you feel when you're in a bad situation and you're on your last legs. You don't, you're not normally that lucid, are you? And Paul is like, oh, I'm having this debate. My God, there's work to be done, but you know what? I'm ready to go and be with the Lord. Wow, that, that is a lesson for us today, especially those of us that do fear death. Because it's natural for the natural person to fear death. And I tell you what, if you're not saved, you'd better fear death. You'd better fear death because it is something to be feared more than anything. If you are not saved, there is nothing more fearful ahead of you than the day your spirit is separated from your body. And if that's not true, then the gospel is of no use at all. But it is true. Romans 8.38, not even death will separate us from the love of God. The love of God will go right through death with you. Hebrews 2 verse 15 says that Jesus died to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong bondage. Hebrews 2.15. Jesus came to free us from the fear of death, which is a bondage over our lives. You say, well, how does that work? Oh, in many ways. But one way it works like this. It's like, I don't want to die. I'm worried about dying. Death is a really bad thing. And uh, I'm frightened about it. And I've got to get everything out of this life before death. And if anything happens, you know, and, and in, in the Western world, we switch off death. We don't like death. I mean, you know, your, your average non-church Western funeral lasts 30 minutes in a crematorium. You ever been to one of those? There's a big queue of the next group and the next group. It's like a factory. And you all go in with the coffin. The coffin goes down. You've got 30 minutes. And then you all go out. And the next person in, you've got 30 minutes. What is it? You, people, I've been to these things. The non-Christian wants to get out of there as soon as possible. And they're hanging on. Everything they say. I'm, I understand. I'm not mocking or anything. I'm just telling you the truth. They, they, they remember the good times, don't they? And they give their... I understand that. I've got compassion on them. And they speak about all the things this person was. But as believers, we speak about all the places, all the things that this person now is. You see, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, speaking about the resurrection, says this. I, want you to, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, about those that fall asleep. That you may, and then 4.13, that you may not grieve as others have no hope. Yeah. That you may not grieve as others that have no hope. For me personally, there's nothing more depressing than a non-Christian funeral. And the worst thing is, is none of them know any better. But if you're a born-again Christian, you know exactly what's going on. And, and, and it, it is a terrible thing to behold. Now, a Christian, the moment that their physical body dies, or I like to say their spirit is separated from the bo your body because you don't lose consciousness, goes to be with the Lord. But this is not the case with a non-Christian. They don't go to be with the Lord. And I will be teaching, beginning to teach next week on the doctrine of eternal punishment, hell, and heaven which is one of the most unpopular doctrines in the Western church today. There are so many preachers and pastors that don't believe in hell. And if they do believe in hell, they only think that hell lasts for a while. But let me tell you something. If hell only lasts for a while, I'll take my tie off. I'll go down, go home and watch some football. And I won't be at coming to work tomorrow at Kensington Temple. Because if we don't have a hell to shun and people to save, then I, I've got better things to do with my life than teach you today. No offense. I've got other things to do. If we're all going to end up in heaven sooner or later, I've got other things to do. It's not an issue. If we're all going to get there somehow, if we're all going to get there no matter what, I've got better things to do with my life. Uh, you, know, I, you know, with all due respect, you say, well, Bruce, you should still worship and serve the Lord anyway. No, I don't think I'll bother because I'll get to heaven anyway. And if you say, well... 
like some teaching, and I'll address these teaching. I'm just giving you flavors of what to come. Oh, no, what happens is hell's not forever. What hell does is destroys people, annihilates them, and the sinner ceases to exist. Well, that's not so bad. That's what most of my atheist friends think is going to happen anyway. Most of my atheist friends think that when they die, they will cease to exist. And they're, they're fine. They're not bothered about that. So if I come and say, I've, I've come to preach a gospel that will save you from ceasing to exist, I say, well, sir, it's not so bad. Didn't exist before I was born. Didn't exist after I was born. If that's the case, I'll take my tie off, go watch some football. I won't be into work tomorrow because I've got better things to do with my life. It's not the case. It's not the case. The eternal destinies of human beings all turn on how we respond to the gospel. And I will go into this in detail. And the choice or decision that you make in regard to Christ and his claims will determine where you spend your existence after death forever and ever and ever. It does matter if you die in your sins. I remember, you say, wow, that's a bit sober, Bruce. Yes, it is. It's as sober as the joy that I was preaching with a few minutes ago, speaking about it's better that we die almost <laughs> and be with the Lord. Oh, isn't that wonderful? See, this is the thing, the joys and delights of salvation and eternal heavenly existence is beyond measure. Looking forward to Robert's coming back in November. He's going to take one of these five o'clock services, and I've asked him to talk about his experience as a young eight-year-old boy where he went to heaven. I saw heaven, and when you hear his description of what he experienced, I know we only prophesy in part and understand in part, but I tell you what, there's enough of his part to give us a sample and taste of what heaven must be like in some way. And he's going to share with us the delights of, of heaven from that, that experience. So we're going to have a look at that. But I was reading John chapter 8 in my Bible reading, and um, it hit me like a ton of bricks when I came to verse 21, when I heard Jesus say this. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Now, I'd read that many times before. But this time, it was like the Holy Ghost was all over that verse. And not in a pleasant way. Do you know what I'm saying? You'll die in your sin. And then I read on. And Jesus explains it a little bit more in verse, 23, in verse 22. He says, so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Can you see? It's all about believing Jesus. And I thought, die in your sins. And it hit me hard because I've known the delights of being forgiven forever. I've passed from condemnation to life. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm saved. Praise the Lord. I am saved. I don't know what it is to be condemned by the Lord. I've been freed by the Lord. I've been pardoned forever with an eternal pardon. And so I've got used to being saved. It's wonderful. Wonderful. And then when I read this, I thought, my God, what must it like to die in your sins? In other words, the moment your spirit separates from your body, you're not righteous. You've died in your sins. Your spirit is still existing, but now it's existing after mortal death. It's existing in a state of deadness to God. It's fearful, isn't it? And I don't apologize for this doctrine being fearful. <laughs> I was uh, speaking to someone who was telling me about a pastor that was running a church. And he forbid anybody on his team to mention the word, to mention, the, mention or preach in any way, shape or form about hell. And I thought about that and I thought, but the whole point is that we've been saved from hell. The whole point, it's like our general superintendent, John Glass, spoke to the leaders 
on Wednesday night. And he said something about these doctrines, some of which we're going to look at in depth. which tell you what Gehenna means, what Hades means, Hades means what Tartarus is. We're going to go in depth in these things. And he said, you know, the gospel is a bit like a beautiful diamond jewel. And if you've got the beautiful diamond jewel in a jeweler's, and you want to show it off in the window, you don't put it on some white paper, do you? Because it won't show up. What you do is you take that beautiful diamond and you put it on a black cushion. And the dark black cushion shows off the beauty of that diamond. Well, the gospel is the diamond. And hell and eternal punishment is the black cushion that shows it. I tell you what, if you've been saved from nothing, if all you've been saved from is being nothing at the end of your life, then you've been saved from nothing. Oh, when I die, I'll cease to exist. Well, Jesus can save you from nothing. What's the big deal? I won't even know about it. But if what Jesus teaches, and the majority of our understanding of the doctrine of hell comes from Jesus himself. It's like he couldn't trust anybody else to do it. It was such a great and awesome and fearful thing that he wanted to deliver it himself. After all, he was going to die to save us from it. And so the doctrine of eternal punishment that we will come to in these days actually shows us what an amazing salvation that we have and what God the Father did through God the Son in order to give us. And to think that all we have to do is believe. I've said that when we die... Um, we, we don't cease to exist. Hebrews 12.1 says we have a great cloud of witnesses. And uh, I think I'll move, on, I'll move on from that. I want to speak now in the last 10 minutes, may come back to this next week, on the doctrine of glorification. How many people, I won't, I won't ask you to answer that, how many people know what, what, what we mean when we talk about the doctrine or teaching of glorification? Just wave at me. Okay, it's a good one to teach on then, isn't it? The doctrine of glorification simply means when you receive your resurrection body. So when we talk about glorification or being glorified, we're talking about the moment when we are raised, our bodies are raised from the dead. And the moment of resurrection for the believer, the moment of resurrection is what? It's the reverse of what took place at death. At the moment of resurrection, your spirit, which is with the Lord, is reunited with your body. But not the same old body that you died in. It is that body. But something happens to that body. It becomes glorified. Romans chapter um, 8 verse 23 says, We wait for the redemption or salvation of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Um, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our lowly, humble body to be like his glorious body. Isn't that wonderful? And so, resurrection, the moment of resurrection... Is, is when I Now, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. When we die, our spirit goes directly to be in heaven with the Lord. But when we die, our body, whether it be buried, 1 Corinthians 15, whether it be buried, cremated, doesn't really matter. That awaits, that stays. When is our body and our spirit reunited? When Jesus returns. And that's, that's where you can read. I'll look at it next week a bit more detail. 1 Thessalonians 4.13. Don't want you to be ignorant about those that have fallen asleep. Don't want you to mourn like those with no hope. Because when the angel blows a trumpet, the dead in Christ will raise, be raised first. So if we're alive and Jesus returns while we're alive, do you know what the first thing we'll see? We'll hear a trumpet. We'll see heaven peeling open and heaven manifesting in the natural world. We'll see Jesus with his mighty, fiery angels coming to deliver all those that have been oppressed by the enemy, coming out there. 
But as we see that coming from above, we're going to see from out of the ground and the sea, millions and millions of saints that have died in their past. In an instant, their spirits that are in heaven are going to be rejoined with that which is left of their body, and they're going to be coming right out of the graves. And, they, and they're going to and they're going shoo, right past us to greet the Lord in the air. And we'll be going, hey, what about us? And then all of a sudden, in a twinkling of an eye, our body's going to take on a different form. You're going to be glorified. You think you look good today? You are going to look so good. Your body's going to be glorified in that moment. If you've already died, you're going to be in heaven. I just can't, I can't imagine what it would be like in heaven. At that moment, just before uh, Jesus gets on his white horse, if that's a figurative or symbolic. Uh, I always say if it's symbolic, and someone says, that's just a symbol, Jesus on a horse. I say, well, if it's just a symbol, then whatever he comes on must be even better. Because the reality is always better than the symbol. Jesus is on his horse, and we're all there in heaven, our spirits. And I reckon we're all lining up there on the edge of the heaven. And Jesus is going to say, ready, steady, go. And he's going to launch off with the angels. And the next thing we know, we're going to be coming up through the earth, coming out of the sea. Glory to God. Smashing through those graves to greet him. And he'll be charging down, and we'll be going up, and we'll, we'll be joining him and greeting him and coming down with the earth. It's going to be amazing. And 1 Corinthians 15 verse uh, talks about our body being raised. Very good stuff. I encourage you to go through 1 Corinthians 15 in detail. I will come back to this, but I've got five minutes just to make a point. Uh, verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 15, all flesh is not the same flesh. But there's one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, another of birds. There are also spiritual bodies and heavenly bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the terrestrial earthly is another. There's the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. For one star differs from another in its glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body sown in corruption, that very body that you will bury or cremate or whatever is sown. In other words, straight away, the mortal body actually has a future. It has a future. It's like a seed. You take a seed and you bury it. It's not the end of it, is it? You, you bury a seed. It's not the end. The seed lies dormant until the right conditions come and then the seed germinates, etc., etc., and grows into whatever it's going to be. The body is sown in corruption, but it's raised in incorruption. The, your resurrection body, your glorified body, will be indestructible, eternal as your spirit. It will now be in a form that is immortal. Mortal body will put on immortal. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and a spiritual body. Now, this spiritual body, the same body that dies is going to be raised. You say, well, well what, what if I decompose and worms eat me up? And what if I get cremated and someone spills my ashes and scatters them all over the sea? Do you know what? I think God can handle that. I think God can handle that. In other words, you don't know Bruce, correct? It's a spiritual, and this spiritual body isn't, woo, Casper the ghost type this is a spirit. Jesus' body was raised spiritual. What does that mean? It means that it was not now limited to the natural world. That's why the disciples on the road to Emmaus didn't recognize him till he, de he, de he deigned to show them. That's why he could appear and disappear. Yet he could also eat fish at breakfast with the disciples. He could be touched. Thomas, touch me. You know, <laughs> phantoms don't have flesh and blood. But then he could disappear. So his body, our bodies will be spiritual as opposed to limited by the physical world. But don't think you're going to be like Casper the ghost, like some wispy thing. It's not going to be like that at all. Your body will be like Jesus's in that sense of, of being able to eat. It will have physical and spiritual properties. But you will not be limited 
by your physical properties like, like you are, are today. And um, we see this in verse 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and we will be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible body has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortal, then we'll say death is swallowed up in victory because our bodies will not be able to ever die again. <laughs> At the moment, we have an, an immortal spirit, correct? It exists forever. But we have a mortal body. On the day of resurrection, when we're raised from the dead or gl and glorified, we'll have an immortal spirit and an immortal body. What a great thing that will be. I'm going to come back to that next week. And I'll also mention, but we're not the only people that will be raised. You know that. Those that die in their sins will also have their day of resurrection. It's a different day, in my opinion. And it's found, in it's found at the end of, of Revelation, um, chapter 20, verse 4. I won't go into it, but chapter 20, verse 4 and verse 11. It's called the second resurrection. And what that will be is that after Jesus has ruled and reigned on the earth for around a thousand years, and there's a last battle, I'll go into all of that, then uh, the great white throne judgment will take place, not for believers, but unbelievers. And those that have died in their sins also will be raised from the dead. And they also will have bodies, not glorified, that would be the wrong term, but those bodies will also exist forever. They will also become immortal. And this is important when I start teaching about, you see, hell is parallel to heaven. Heaven lasts forever. Hell lasts forever. There is eternal life and there is eternal punishment. And these two things are put together. John chapter 5 and 28, and I'll finish on this. It says, the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear the voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And so they will have also a physical body that is immortal with their, with their spirits that are also immortal. But there will be two eternal places of existence, heaven and hell. Now, if you've got problems and questions about that, join the club, and we will be addressing those problems and those questions in the coming weeks. One of the good things about a teaching service is that you can address things properly, sensibly, and with time, we can build things in, whereas when you don't have a teaching service, you have to sort of like fast food it instead of slow cooking it, and it, I love fast food, but sometimes you've got to eat slow cooked food over a period of time, or else we, we won't grow like we're meant to grow. Next week, I'll come back to the doctrine of resurrection, and then we'll begin to look at the doctrine of eternal punishment and eternal bliss. Thank you, Christian.